Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number 15. The book of Luke, chapter 15, a very familiar, if you've been in church any, any length of time, more than likely you've come across the parables of Luke 15. The Bible says in verse number 11, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And the Bible says, and he began to be in want. I want to minister this morning on a subject that is perhaps sensitive to all of us. Because probably, if we were to poll this congregation this morning, there's not anyone here present that has never been touched or impacted by the life of a backslider. Everyone present has had that type of impact in their life by some measure. But we often look at everything being their responsibility. And this morning I want to look at what we as the body of Christ should be responsible for in their return. I'll be careful and sensitive this morning. but I have labored over this message for over six months. And finally feel like the Lord has given me a release to minister it this morning with His help. So if you'll help me today for a few minutes, I want to minister on this subject. Is it time to give up yet? You may be seated. The three parables of Luke 15 teach strongly the importance of new convert care. The parable of the lost sheep typifies the believer lost in the wilderness of sin and separated from the great shepherd and the flock. He must be found and brought back. We see in earlier verses of Luke 15 that the shepherd is so concerned about even a 1% loss of sheep that he's willing to leave the 99 just to find the one that is lost. The parable of the lost coin typifies those who are still in the church but are not active or involved for God. We must sweep, not to sweep them out of the church, but we must sweep to find them and make them serviceable to the Lord and to His kingdom. The parable of the lost son typifies those who have willfully left their father's house. They must be prayed for. 
looked for and reminded that they are wasting their substance and that an anxious father is eagerly awaiting their return. I wish this morning with the help of the Lord to focus on the third parable of Luke 15 for a few moments. All of you Bible readers know that the premise of this parable is largely about the prodigal. He was the baby of the family, the younger son, the little brother. I can relate to that this morning. Out of two, I'm the youngest, so I can relate to what it must have felt like to have been him to some measure. But the Bible lets us know that as he grew to a legal age of adulthood, not to be confused with maturity. Understand that this morning. Age, no matter what your age, does not make you mature. Even you elders. <laughs> I, I've seen some people that were my parents' age do some really, really uh, immature things. And that's a nice way of putting it. So legal age of adulthood doesn't indicate maturity, but when he got there, we know from the scripture that he began to develop a taste for the things of the world. And this is something that we must be careful of today. And that's why we bring our children to church. Amen, parents. That's why we bring our children to church. When they get to an age of legal adulthood and they de determine their own path and they determine their own decisions, then there may not be a lot that you can do about it. But until that day, there is a responsibility that rests upon your shoulders and upon my shoulders as a parent a parent of minors, if you will, to bring them to the house of the Lord. Why? Because I don't want my son developing a taste for the world. And if I don't bring him to the Father's house, then he will develop a taste for whatever is in front of him. So parents, this morning, if you give up now, you are not only sacrificing your own soul, but that of your children. We are given a warning to this action in 1 John 2.15 where the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It was written in their law of that day that when a boy would legally become a man, that he had legal right to access his portion of his inheritance. So that's exactly what the prodigal did. The Bible tells us in our scripture text that he requested of his father to give him the portion of goods that belonged to him. The prodigal is a type and shadow of the backslider this morning. Notice some of the traits that are similar between the two. He was focused on leaving the father's house. Every action he took, every decision he made, every thought that he processed was processed based on leaving. In his leaving, he was self-centered. Amen. He was focused only on what he wanted. He didn't consider the consequences. He didn't consider the pain. He didn't consider what his family would feel. He didn't consider what his father's house would feel. All he considered was what is it that makes me happy? Even though he really didn't know, he hadn't tasted it yet. 
But he saw on the other side of the fence, he saw on the other side of the blue grass that he would thought that he would be happy. His decisions were based on self-interest. He desired things that could be seen. You've got to be careful this morning desiring things that you see. Because not everything in reality is what it looks like. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is. How many times have you sat at the table in a restaurant and you've ordered something based on the picture in the menu? Amen. Hungry, mouth-watering, just Brother Terry breaking out in a cold sweat. You're so hungry and the pains in your stomach are so great because you, you've either been fasting or it's just been a long time since lunch and you're ready to sit down and have a good meal and you pick out something, you, you get adventurous and you find something on the menu that, well, the picture looks good. I think I'll have that. I can tell you the number of disappointments that I've had that when that got to the table, it didn't look anything like the picture did. And in light of its, in spite of its uh, visual stimulus, it didn't taste anything like what I thought it would. I built an image in my mind of what its taste would be because I thought it looked good. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. There are things in this world that while they may look good, the taste of them is something that you do not need to taste of. When you finally taste of its bitterness, it won't let go of you easily. It may look appealing, but in reality it is a monster in disguise. He desired things that could be seen. He ignored the protection and salvation of the Father's house. He exercised independence rather than dependence on the Father. So this young man takes his portion of goods and as the old cliche goes, the money burned a hole in his pocket. For the Bible declares that not many days after he gathered all together that he wasted his substance on riotous living. It took just a short time to spend everything that he had. Ladies and gentlemen, in case there's someone here this morning considering backsliding on God, in case there's someone here this morning that's considering walking away from your relationship with God, I must remind you this moment today that sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you will ever have to pay. If you are here today and you are thinking on these things, let me be a voice sounding in your mind today, even as you leave here, that it is not worth the cost to go after something that simply looks good. We've got to have more than just something that is visual, for we're warned in the Word of God that there is a lust of the eyes. There is the pride of life. There is the lust of the flesh, and these are things we must avoid. We are living in a dangerous hour. We are living in a dangerous hour, and I don't mean in terms of, of weather or in terms of war. Those things will happen. Those things are biblical. Those things are prophesied, and you can't change them. But we are living in a dangerous hour in the church. 
Because there are matters of life that we can change. That we are not changing. There are moments where we have opportunity to worship. That we worship not. Amen. We are living in a dangerous hour where we are, if we're not careful as the body of Christ, and I don't mean just First Apostolic Church, but as the body of Christ, we are living in a dangerous hour because if we are not careful, we're being lulled to sleep. We are, we are, we are moving ourselves into a spiritual mediocrity where that what used to be necessary is no longer necessary. Amen. What I used to live, now I'm a little comfortable with, and I don't have to try so hard. We need an awakening this hour. We need an awakening that will grab our spirits so severely that we come to an awareness that if we are not careful, we will find ourselves lost. Because the first step to backsliding, hear me, church, the first step to backsliding is not when you don't come to church. The first step to backsliding is when you're still attending church and it no longer has meaning for you. When you could sit on an apostolic church pew and just exist. I've not come to scold anybody this morning, but I have come to... To, to give you the word of the Lord with sincerity. And the Bible is still black, black and white. Our generation may be gray because of confusion, but the Bible is black and white. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And while our methods may change, our message should never change. And if holiness was right 50 years ago, and if holiness was right 20 years ago, and if holiness was right 10 years ago, then holiness is still right today. It makes no difference to me the name on the door and the name of the person preaching it. If they're letting go of what they used to preach, that doesn't make it right. If you're here this morning and you have walked away from God and you've not reached your official place of return to the Father's house, I want to declare to you this morning that there's still hope. For the Father will still leave the 99. And He's still focused on the one. And He still wants you to be saved. He still wants you to love Him. He still wants you to choose Him. And he's still interested today in, in, in bystanding the 99 just and letting them just have a season of worship while he focuses on your return. I wonder this morning if we could lift our hands and just praise the Lord and magnify him for a little bit today. Oh God. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. It didn't take long 
for the younger son to spend everything he had. Quickly, he finds himself in the pit of sin. He's estranged from his family. He's estranged from his friends and his shelter and his food. He's seeking the pleasures of this world and the joy that it has for a moment. But however long that moment was, now he begins to question in his mind if that moment was really worth it or not. The joy wasn't nearly as happy as he thought it would be. It didn't last nearly as long as he had anticipated. And sorrow now comes in and grips him with a guilt he's never felt before. He has nothing left to show for his portion of his inheritance. He's literally, ladies and gentlemen, wasted every single solitary thing that he had. And he now finds himself in the hog's pit. All the while, on the home front, there's a family that prays daily, waits daily for the return of their lost son. They're grieving over the worry and the agony of their lost family member, nearly to the point that it consumes their entire life. Does anybody relate to this this morning? Nearly to the point it consumes everything they do. Daily grind of living is hard. Going through the motions seems impossible. Yet likely a faithful family member they should press on. Why? It's because they're holding out hope that their prodigal will someday return. But here comes the danger. What happens in any situation? What happens in any hardship that you go through? When you go through it long enough, it eventually gets easy. Oh, God, help us. I must pose the question this morning, and my desire is simply to provoke you to good works. When living life without your backslider in your life becomes easier, does letting go of hope for their return get easier too? It's a question that we must ponder today. We must disrobe ourselves of who we think we are. We must disrobe ourselves of, of how spiritual we perceive ourselves to be and everything that you think you've got right. Stand before God with some transparency and think, oh God, is it possible that letting go is easier now too? It's quite possible that our actions often really do speak louder than words. And in doing so, we send messages to our lost family members. This can be church family or natural family. And these messages, ladies and gentlemen, speak louder than anything we could ever imagine. It's a dangerous place for us to be when we forget the compassion we need for the lost. When we forget how we need to treat the lost. Let, let, let me say it this way. I don't care if you're blood related to them or not. If they're lost, you need to be careful. These actions, these reactions are typical. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a list of some things here that based on the prodigal and his story and based on our modern day situations, Actions and reactions that I believe are typical. They may not all be exercised at the same time and maybe not by everybody, but they are typical. What happens? What happens when you see the backslider? 
What happens when they come back to church to visit? Some avoid them or act distant to them because they don't look like they used to. And we get all awkward and we forget how to just be real. How would we treat them if they had never been saved? How would we treat them if they had never been Holy Ghost filled? And if they had never looked like a Christian? You say, but Brother Mason, it's hard. I never said it was easy. But when we put things into terms of reality of heaven or hell, I don't want any blood dripping from my fingers because of how I treated somebody who once was saved. And now I feel awkward being around them because used to they worship God and now they don't. And I don't know how to feel about that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not, how, it's not about how you feel about that. Sometimes we avoid them or we're distant to them or we act weird around them and that causes them to feel weird. Some jokingly berate them over it being so long since they've come to see us that it makes them wish they hadn't came this time. <laughs> we're worried about how long it's been since they sacrificed themselves to come see us. When did we go see them? When have we spent time with them? Some preach at them telling them what they need to be doing as if they don't already know. They don't need to be preached to. They need the presence of God. They need us to be apostolic. They need us to be real Christians. They need us to be gracious and loving and caring and merciful. Because we need to understand and we need not forget this church. We need to understand that the only thing that separates us from them is God's grace. It's not because I'm so good. I was standing in company with someone that was blasting a, a backslidden pastor once because he had fell into adultery and my words to that person, they were in my family and not my local family, my words to that person was the only thing that separates me from him is the grace of God. I've never done anything in my own to make myself any better than what he is. Just because I have a good relationship with my wife, if I lose my relationship with God, I am susceptible to the same sin and the same mistakes and the same tripping hazards that he was. We, we don't need spiritual arrogance. We, we don't need a condescending attitude that says I'm better than them because they messed up. You can mess up too. And if we were to be transparent with ourselves this morning, more than likely you have messed up. You just may not have done the exact same thing. Because if one man's committed adultery and you've lied, you've sinned just as bad. Come on now, it's time for us to be real. One's public and one's private, and we think because it's private and we can hide it that we can get away with it. Sin is sin, ladies and gentlemen. 
And in the eyes of God, if one is as bad as the other, then you're no different than them. Then we need not judge a man because of his public sin when our privacy is just as dirty. We often, I say this gently this morning, and, and you don't have to say amen. But we often treat our family members who have backslid or backslid more loosely than we do non-related people. Because they're family. And in our mind, we justify ourselves because they're family. Or their son or their daughter or their uncle or their aunt or their grandchild or their this or their that. They're backslid. If they're your brother or your sister, your child or your parent, they're backslid. We need to treat them accordingly. Why? Because in the eyes of a backslider, they are going to justify themselves with everything you do. Well, that's not right. Neither is treating them loosely. And if we are the Christians, we are the ones that should be taking the high road. Amen. We are the ones that should be taking the high road. If you wouldn't say it to someone who isn't related to you, don't say it to someone who is. Being away from God knows no boundaries. When something goes wrong in the backslider's life, some remind them of their past mistakes and make them aware that the situation they're in now is not only their fault, but it's because of what they've done. You know, if God chose to forget our sin, God, who in His infinite wisdom has the power and the ability to remember everything. If He chose to forget our sin, wipe, wash it away in the sea of forgetfulness. Shove it as far away from us as the east is from the west. If He chose to do that, He who shed His blood I didn't shed my blood for anybody. If he who shed his blood that we might be saved would choose to forget those wrongs that we did against him, then what makes us think that we shouldn't do the same thing? We don't know what they've repented of and what they haven't. Listen, just because a person hasn't changed their lifestyle yet doesn't mean they haven't prayed. And they may have repented over the situation that got them there. And they may be putting one foot in front of the other daily. You don't see it, but in a spiritual eyes, God sees it. Every day they're putting one foot in front of the other and they're trying. They haven't told you about it yet. But in their heart and their spirit, they're trying. They're saying, oh God, give me strength. I'm a long way from the Father's house. I'm sitting here in the hog pit and I'm trying to get out of it and I've got slime all over me. I've got dirt all over me. I don't have any money to get back home. I don't have any food to eat and I'm hungry. But God, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm sorry for what got me here, but help me change. Change is not an overnight experience, even when you used to live it. 
So when you don't know what they have or have not repented over, let's not be the judge and bring their sin back up to them. Why is this important this morning? I believe this is important this morning. Number one, because it's the Word of God. But number two, because we've got more backsliders in this church now than I think we ever have. We as a church body need to know how to reach them. And to know how to reach them, we need to understand how not to reach them. If the prodigal hadn't had an opportunity to soul search and perhaps do some praying while he was in the hog's pen, which is symbolic of sin, he would have never got out of it. You know, we, we, we've sang the song Amazing Grace for years, and, and I'm not being critical of the hymn it is a powerful song, and it's worthy of its credit. We need to understand, though, that the man that wrote it, when he wrote it, he didn't write it because he had experienced the grace. He wrote it because he was developing an understanding of it. He was still a drunk. He was still a slave trader. He was still a sinner. He was a sinner that he was singing about that had had grace. So it's important for us to understand this morning that we're not the only ones that understand God. For if the sinner never developed an understanding of what God wanted for their life, they would never be saved. We would not be here. There's a strong similarity between us and the prodigal's family. We aren't the only ones that struggle with how to deal with issues. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 17 reads, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now this has been postured many, many ways in this parable and I've heard it many ways throughout my lifetime, but for a moment, just imagine this. The prodigal was perhaps uncomfortable returning home because he wasn't sure how he would be received. So instead of going home like the son that he was, he believes that he would be accepted better if he come back as a servant. He was ready to change. But his clothes still reeked of hog pit. He was ready to live differently, but his appearance didn't reveal that yet. We know from Scripture what the father's perspective was. He was very accepting to his son's return. Maybe, maybe he was even standing on the hill every day at the same time, looking out over the, the, the green meadows, looking to see, can I, can I see my son walking yet? He didn't give up hope. He was ready. He was waiting on it. He was ready to prepare to feast the ring and the robe. He was ready to bypass negotiating servanthood with his lost son and bring him back as his son. Why? Because his love for his son was greater than his disappointment of his son's choices. Our love for the loss has got to be greater than our own hurt. We often want to present our hurt to them, but it's not about us. Our love for their soul has got to be greater than our disappointment. Has got to be greater than our hurt. 
And just as Jesus was when he was on the cross, we've got to be willing to lay our hurt aside and never even talk about it. And just love them. And love them. Love means accepting them. Love means accepting them. And that's something we apostolics struggle with because we believe acceptance means agreement. And accepting a situation doesn't mean you're putting your condoning on it. But until we learn to accept them for who they are and the choices they've made and love them in the condition they're in, then we won't have an opportunity to love them saved. Well, let me retranslate that. Learn how to love your backslider the way they are backslid. And then we'll have a hope of putting the ring on their finger. Then we'll have a hope of making Mary with the fatted calf. But if they don't feel love in the condition they're in now, why would we think they would think we would love them later? But the father accepted quickly. We must realize today, though, that he was just one of many. In modern day terms, it doesn't matter how well the pastor receives someone back if the people don't. If he's up here preaching grace and mercy, restoration, and we're glaring at someone with an eye of judgment because they left and we didn't. Let, let me ask you something rhetorically this morning uh, with all sincerity. Is that an eye of judgment or is it an eye of jealousy? Prodigal's desire to become as one of the hired servants was plan B because he didn't think plan A was an opportunity. He returns home, Luke 15 and 22. The Bible tells us, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. And this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be And as they had began to be merry, the older son comes home from the field. I may look at this a little different than some, but I think the older son has just as much problem as the younger one. The older son's got some issues. Time of rejoicing is finally here. Older brother isn't rejoicing. Let's look at what the Bible says. Continuing in verse number 25. It says, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants over and asked him, and said, What these things meant? And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. The Bible says, in reference to the older brother, remember now, the older brother never left the house. If you'll follow the parallel this morning, the older brother is still the Christian on church pews. He's still the one that comes to church every service and worships God. And he was angry and would not go in. And therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, 
that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son is, was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him, killed for him the fatty cat. Notice the key words spoken by the older brother at the return of his lost brother. He was angry and would not go in. His jealousy over his lost brother wouldn't let him join a celebration for his salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a dangerous hour today when we want to pick and choose who's saved. And when someone is saved that we don't necessarily think that they should be here. And we've developed jealousy in our heart. Let me tell you something. I, I know we've got, I, I say this with respect this morning, but I know we've got some, some people in here that have been divorced. Due to whatever circumstances, and that I'll not touch this morning. That's your life, your privacy. But to whatever circumstances you found yourself in divorce court, you've moved on and now you have another mate. Let me tell you, in the eyes of God, this church has a right to house both of you. We need to see some ex-wives and some ex-husbands in the same church. Oh, I crossed the line now. If you've moved on and you're secure in your life, it should not bother you. But if the thought of that person being under the same roof, worshiping the same God with you bothers you, then you're just a jealous older brother. Because if salvation came to your door, what makes us think that it should not come to theirs? And just because you divorced doesn't mean you shouldn't love them. I'm not talking marital love. But we should love their soul. And if you can't pray for people that once was your enemy, when Jesus said to pray for who? Your enemies. And he said to pray for them that despitefully use you. Then I must believe that it is in the will of God for us to see them saved. And it is not for us to pick and choose. It is not for us to say, well, I don't want them in this church. Then you, you, oh Lord, you need to pray for yourself. One of these days on Progress in the Pew, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to preach the happiest, shouting, run the aisles message you have ever seen. And I'm going to make up for lost time. But we must declare truth this morning. Because when I say we're living in a dangerous hour, that's not just a cliche. I believe we are living in a pivotal hour, if nothing else, in First Apostolic Church. We are living in a pivotal hour where that which can be shaken is being shaken. And for some it takes more than others and some it seems like it don't take much. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves lost quickly. So easily. More key wording from the, from the, the, the older brother. He said, I serve, neither transgressed I, Who's he worried about? 
He's worried about the same person that the prodigal was. The only difference is one left the house and one didn't. I submit to you this morning in the Holy Ghost, they were both backslid. That's why we need to understand attending church don't make you saved. There is a salvation plan for man. God wants something deeper for you than just attendance. God wants a relationship with you that burns to the very core of who you are. Every time we come to church, we need to tap into that. I serve, neither transgressed I. Never gavest me that I might make merry my friends. The older son was just as self-centered. And then he puts the icing on the cake by referring to his father by saying, Thy son. His jealousy and his contempt for his younger brother's salvation had gripped him so bad that he couldn't even refer to him as his brother. But he had to refer to him as your son. Could it be, brothers and sisters, this morning, that the reason we don't see more backsliders coming home is that somewhere within the family there is an older brother spirit of jealousy that stops the party before it ever starts. Is it time to give up yet? I declare no today. Would you stand with me this morning? This is a message of self-evaluation. I come here to criticize you, not to scold you, just to preach the word and implore you this morning to evaluate yourself. We often want to leave all the responsibility of the backsliders return on them. They're the ones that have to repent. They're the ones that have to come to God. They're the ones that have to do... We are the ones that need to remove the barriers. We are the ones that need to give them an atmosphere where that they feel wanted and an atmosphere where they feel grace. Grace doesn't mean you just keep doing what you're doing. The same grace that God extended to us is the same grace that we need to extend to them. Lest we forget that the only difference between us and them could be that we just never left. This altar is open this morning. I'm going to ask whosoever will that wants to pray to come and pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.